Lights. Camera. Cinemagic. Let's roll that intro. Roll, roll that intro. <laughs> All right, and okay. welcome, everybody. Yes, welcome to another week of Cinemagic Podcast. Woo! Yes, Woo! I'm so excited. I'm your host, of course, Jonathan Gondual, with my lovely co-host, Rick Acevedo. And for this week, for everyone, we have a very special guest for us. Rick, go ahead and introduce. We have the one and only uh, Vivian Reynoso from J2911 Media. Vivian is the secret to our continuing success, okay? Vivian is someone with a tremendous amount of experience in distribution, acquisitions, everything that you need to know to really be successful in the industry because as we very well said before, you can love the art and art is great, but you also have got to love the idea of making money with that art. You've got to sell your art to live, okay? Let's forget about everything else right now. You've got to live somehow. So you've got to have people behind you that can make that happen. And we're very fortunate to have Vivian behind us as that person. So um, Vivian, first of all, welcome. And thank you for joining us on um, on this podcast today. Um, my you. first question, I think that... that, that um, probably echo Jonathan's sentiments with this would be how did you first get into the industry um you know how did you first start out in the industry well I always said that this was God's will for me to be here okay nice. so long story short I was born in the states family reasons I was brought to Ecuador when I grew up and then in 2006 I came back and my 38 years old. I know I look super young. I know. Thank you. <laughs> you, uh, you do. You do. You look. You, you look is, wonderful. Let me just say, you yeah. look wonderful. You're, thank you're you. magical. Thank you so much for everything. <laughs> I know Rick said a little in the beginning, but I just want to reiterate. Oh, okay, that. no yes. problem. Awesome you know, those me. type of comments are always welcome, no matter what time. So thank you. <laughs> so, anyways, um, you know, I got here, and I remember I, I was living in New Jersey, and you know, I had my two kids with were four and two, and I was with this mentality like, oh, I'm gonna get a part time, and then just you know take care of my kids because I don't want nannies. Mm -hmm. And the thing is that I think I was overqualified for every place I apply in the area where I live. And so my husband convinced me to, you need to apply in Manhattan because your experience basically give you that chance, you know, okay, I'm not very convinced. But anyways, long story short, I applied. I, I remember the date. It was May 29th. And then in the afternoon, they say, you have an interview. You have, uh, I don't know if you're familiarized with the name Alliance Atlantis, but Alliance yeah. Atlantis uh, at some point was a Canadian production company that also mm -hmm. distributed content around the world. And so the, the, the meeting was going to be with them in for the office in New York. So I went for the meeting. Actually, it was May 30th. Then I went for the official interview, May 31st. And then they called me that afternoon and said, OK, you start tomorrow. And literally, wow. that's how I started. Nice. <laughs> and what and was so, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, what was your like, were you at, at that early stage were you in in acquisitions or were you in... i was in distribution i oh, was wow. uh, the office in new york the office in new york handles the distribution uh, of obviously of the catalog for the u.s and all latin america 
So that's where I started. So I started assisting the VP for that territory. Mm-hmm. And she was great. I mean, as, right now she owns her own company. She's moving into production. You know, she, I mean, but I was very blessed to have her as my boss and became a mentor and also my friend. And so it, it was a blessing. It was a blessing. So I was there working, I think, for nine months when she was called to work for HBO. Not in my, the one in Miami, but HBO New York. And then she said, oh, no, no. She, you know, she, she's, uh, she also grew up in, a, I mean, in, um, in the U.S., lived many years in Europe, but she speaks re- very good uh, Spanish. So she said, no, 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 senora, you come with me to HBO. I'm not going to leave you. You have to come with me. <laughs> nice. And that's how I ended up in HBO, like kind of like no interviews, no nothing. I just, you know, I was just there <laughs> for the same. Well, for this in, in HBO, we stopped dealing with U.S., but we added Spain and Portugal, <clears throat> sorry, Spain and Portugal, mm-hmm. uh, in addition to Latin America. So, and it was really a great experience to be in such a big corporation for the media industry. You know, it's, it's a very different view. Um, all the experiences and all these little details that people have no idea. Like if you remember, Rick, uh, one of the first questions I asked you, do you have your content registered for copyright? That was like my yeah, first question. And I'm not even sure how many distributors asked that question. But for everything that I learned while I was in HBO, to me, that's the number one question any distributor has to ask to the to the, the producers, you know, content, uh, content owners. It's like, have you registered your content for copyrights? Because if that's not the case, then we can't do anything because I don't want lawsuits and nothing. You know, you have to protect your content. You have to be very careful with that. That's your baby. Yeah. And, and thank you so much for that, because we try to also in this podcast educate young filmmakers people are just starting and and to give them information and passion and energy to do yeah it's the number one thing number one thing and if you have an idea please don't share it with anybody go to the library of the congress register your idea and then you can share and pitch it everywhere but before that don't do it because literally one great idea can be changed just a little bit and may look like another idea and so which which happens don't get me wrong it happens right and that's why one of the documents that you sign when you are presenting original content is an NDA that I'm pretty sure you may be familiarized, right? Yeah. Which is non-disclosure agreement. Uh, because maybe I think my idea is unique, but maybe it's not that unique because somebody else may be thinking something very similar. So that's a way corporates protect themselves for that. And also I protect myself in, in that same area, you know, because you never know. Yeah. Um, you said that you were you were working at HBO at that particular point in time. Now this is, if if I'm getting the timeline correctly, this is right around 20, the eight, wait, 2007, 2007 through 2011. So that was a period of time when things were obviously starting to change, but they seem the change seemed to come gradually because. Yes, Netflix existed, but Netflix wasn't. I mean, Blockbuster was still around, if I'm not mistaken, yep. around that time. I think so they show up like 2010, kind of 2000, when they when people started getting the DVDs at home for Netflix. Yeah, it was yep. really more like that. That, that. in I 2006, I was still working for Blockbuster, so I know they were still around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the thing is that you know, from the moment you start until you kind of become recognizable, it takes some some time. So I, I believe it was 2009, 2010 when it, I remember me getting the DVDs, you know, in my mailbox, like oh, okay, oh, same, and, same and reminding my husband, you have to return it. Same here, <laughs> but but did you know you being an HBO, which is like an industry giant? I mean, it is an industry giant. It were is, you honestly. all right now at that time? It was I would say the one. 
Oh, yeah. And I, I would still say that HBO, if you look at HBO Max and what they're doing on streaming, they're still, you know, there's something still special about HBO that no other network that was a pay network or anything like that has. But do you all see, like, a sort of change on the horizon? Because it, it's, you, you know, you look at it in, 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 in hindsight now and you think, okay, you know, you were, we were getting the DVDs at home. But also Netflix, I do remember when, and I don't know if, if you'll remember this, when, when they started, they had a little bit of a platform where you could see certain, just a few titles with the membership later on, just on your on the internet. It wasn't, you know, streaming as we know it now. But do, do you all see like a change in the horizon that would eventually become what it's become now? Well, I was not in that in that area directly, but obviously mm -hmm. we had the big, large meetings when everything is sh shared in terms of, okay, what are we going to do in the next six months or something like that? So I remember that at that time, I don't remember the name of the lady, but it was a lady in charge of that division. And it was not even, I think it's, I believe it was HBO, it's something about digital, but now they have, I, th I think it was HBO Go. That's what they were trying to launch at that time. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's when they were trying to launch it. And that's also the time, especially the last year that I was there, is a time where True Blood became like a huge thing. It was, you know, season one and it was a starting season two. And, yeah. and so I think they saw that potentially coming in the future because that's why they were, you know, started the talks and see all, all of the things, the pro programming and, and the information that they can put out. But I don't think that honestly anybody at that time thought that the streaming, as we know now, is streaming was going to become such a huge thing. Mm. I think obviously with the increase of use of internet, you know, but I mean, this has been like what in five years that it's booming, like boom yeah. with all these new technology. I mean, not technology because the technology existed, but not at that level of smartphones and, you know, countries are not only in the US because obviously US have, we have the advantage of having good broadband and all of those things, but even in the other countries around the world that they are in governments are investing in putting more, uh, into the digital part so that their, you know, citizens can also use not only obviously for entertainment, but also for education and other things. So I believe that 10 years ago, wow, 10 years ago, I, I actually 11 years ago, nobody thought it was going to be that fast. You know, I think, I think they knew something was coming, but I don't think they thought it was going to be that fast. Or, or I, I don't think that anybody really believed Netflix was going to be, become that, you know, big name that it has become. Exactly. Um, you know, I, I think even a little more, Vivian, sorry, and I know you're going there, but I think just for everyone out there who may not exactly know what a distributor is, can you tell us what you do, what a distributor is? Just for our listeners ah. out there who don't know, just the yeah. surface level, right? Because okay. it is a lot of things that you do that we that other people don't know. So I think it's nice to get that platform just described. What's a distributor? What, what yeah. do they do? And well, general line or bottom line is we sell content, right? That's like the bottom line. Now, here we are, I guess, different levels of services per se. And so I have, and this is kind of a bad experience that I had with one producer who was interested in having us representing, right? He had, I, obviously he didn't know what distribution means, or I think he thought he had a very different concept from the one I have. So, Long story short, he told me that he this this was you know the the first conversation like Rick you know the first conversation right what was the first question that I asked is 
Did you copyright your content? Okay. He felt offended. He felt offended for that question. <laughs> yeah, literally, he felt offended. And like, uh, and I, I explained the whole reason why I was asking, right? And in this particular situation, I already had a previous talk with the other producer who already told me they didn't write, they didn't have the content registered. So this follow-up call for me was obviously, okay, did you register the content? Because I explained, right? So he felt offended and he said that this is like him going to buy a car. He has the money. I am the seller. And it is offensive to ask him if he had the money to buy a car uh, because that's how it is. So I said, well, you know what? <laughs> I respect your opinion, but I don't, uh, and, and now I'm going to, you know, talk about us, J2911 Media. I don't see the producers as customers or clients. I see them as my partners. And as a consequence, I, and also my clients, I mean, I, I, I try to, you know, we all, all, all our team try to uh, treat everybody with respect, with support, even, you know, because I think that's how you want to be treated. So you have to do it. But just a thought, and thank you for your question. People sometimes don't understand. Distributors, I know there are different kinds of, yes, but online we have to sell content. But it is important to find a distributor that is going to support you, especially if you are um, a new pro uh, production company or you don't have too much exposure at international. Uh, you have these big names for distribution, right? There are companies that are very big. Mm -hmm. Of course, you, you gain what? Okay, you gain the chance to maybe be present in, in several markets in the sense of, because this is a big company, so my title most likely will be there, but then there is no response. If you ask something, they don't send you sales history reports. It's like, and I've, I've dealt with it, like producers that were handled by other distribution companies that at the end, these distribution companies didn't offer them any report or anything, or if they send reports, it's like three columns, like sold to this person for this amount, period. So that's not the way you have to to provide information i think it's completely unethical so distribution yes is basically selling selling content but you need to be very careful who you choose to represent you because you don't want a company that when you ask a question they don't respond to you and and of course as it is great to be represented by a big distribution company there is also the the bad side which is your title is going to compete against another 1000 more titles that that distribution company has when the distribution company doesn't have such a mega big catalog, then you have more chances also to have your title more like running, you know, like rolling because because of just the fact of, you know, less amount of titles, more attention, big amount of titles, less attention potential. So as everything has pros and cons, you know, everything has pros and cons, but a distributor basically what it's gonna do is gonna represent your content, it's gonna sell it, um, you know, clients, networks, digital platforms, DVD companies, which there are, even though you may not believe, but there are still some. <laughs> and um, and then there are different ways to work with the distribu distributors, right? That That's mm -hmm. another another question, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one, one of the things that you mentioned was tending to your, you know, to your partners and everything, which obviously I can, I can speak for our experience, you know, anytime I've ever emailed you I get a, a response right away and I feel so terrible about it because like oh my god I really don't want to be one of those people you know no, no you're not uh, I mean but... I always say if I can't respond in that moment I won't do it right like I, just, I can't sometimes I'm on a call I'm in a meeting so I can't 
Um, and if I cannot help you with what you need, I will try to find the answer. But, you know, I think there must be the willingness to work with your partner, which is the content producer. Exactly, which is actually, you just answered the question that I was going to ask, which is, <laughs> what are some of the things that make a distributor, you know, um, that, that a distributor, what are, what are some of the, the ways their distributor should, should, um, should work with their client? Because, you know, you mentioned something very important, which is knowing exactly who you're going to deal with. And, uh, you know, when we were at, at NAPI, we're meeting with a lot of individuals, but we always had to have it had a have a really you know detailed conversation about who it was that we met with and and what we got out of that meeting because someone can almost give you a robotic boilerplate explanation or somebody can can give you exactly what you need to know and separating those two things can be difficult especially when you're in marketplaces and things like that so thank you for answering the question on that well, I, I personally think that being honest is, is a key to build trust. Mm -hmm. And and I always say, okay, you, you, it's okay to be honest, but no, a little bit of numbing cream never hurts. So <laughs> if you have to say something really harsh, you can find a way to be nice when you right. say that, okay? And, and, and again, Rick, you may recall that when we have our conversations, I think I really gave you how the panorama was in terms of distribution, 100%. in terms of independent content, in terms of, you know, I, I, because I don't want to create false expectations on producers, no. and, you know, to offer the stars on the moon, and then I deliver nothing. And so I prefer just to, and that's why, and I, it's something that I normally get invited to Costa Rica for giving, I guess, lectures or something like that about distribution. And obviously with COVID, it's been online, but, um, but I always tell them, you need to read the news. Okay, media news. <laughs> so you know what's going on. Because when you have to make those type of decisions, Rick, that the ones you did, and thank you so much for the trust that you put in our company, it's like, if you have no knowledge of what's going on, how can you know if these meetings, if in these meetings they are telling you the truth? Or at least mm -hmm. if it sounds convincing to you, right? You, you need to be informed of the trend, of what the companies are doing, like you need to be informed. And I think mm, it seems to me that producers don't pay too much attention to that, but I think it's very important. Okay. Um, one question that that I've always wanted to to ask, obviously, and, and I know you and I have talked about this before in the past, and John, you and I have talked about this many times. Um, as a distributor, do you see a greater opportunity in international markets that are that are coming up for uh, content creators because these markets are really establishing themselves in in, uh, in streaming now like do you see a, a great opportunity there as a distributor i mean again opportunities there are always opportunities the problem mm -hmm. right now that i see is that almost every single producer no matter where they live in the in this globe they want to sell to netflix that's the, the number one thing they want to do <laughs> Yeah, number two is sell it to Amazon. That, that's like the number right. one, one, one and two. And unfortunately, that's not always the case. You know, they have tons of tons of things that they receive, number mm -hmm. one. Number two, Netflix and, uh, for example, Netflix, uh, Apple also literally are this, this um, not paying attention to any unsolicited material. So they are at that level, you know. And so the opportunity to distribution, yes. Now, I think, and, I, and you and I also talk about this, it's important to acknowledge 
in A through D, where where is your material at? So is it a premium? Okay, if you see the premium content, then then of course you know you have more chances to be to be licensed by I don't know depending on the content History Channel, HBO, Netflix, and, and again Netflix you know depending on how you're gonna put that in. But if your content is not premium, then it's gonna fall into the next level, which is TV movies kind of TV movies. You know I mean I mean in terms of production, it's like it's not mega production, but it's still good. And then you have to realize that it's going to be harder for you to be, you know, licensed by the big networks because the big networks want only the best. Especially right now, all of you should be aware that a lot of original production coming out. They are investing a lot in that. So when you have a company, let's use Netflix, let's use HBO. Mm -hmm. They are producing content, not only in the U.S. Now they're opening offices in different parts of the world. You know, Netflix is going to open a new a new office in Colombia. They open one in Mexico. They are going to open, I think I read one in the Nordic area, in the Nordic countries. So that's because they want, obviously, to produce content that can be more uh, of interest for different territories. And so if you can be accepted of course if you can be chosen to produce something for netflix that's great or for any of these companies but if not you basically are going to compete against themselves because they are producing their own content and then you have to uh, understand that there will be other buyers that won't be able to pay what netflix what hbo and all these companies are paying you know because they are not that big and in digital especially in digital right now there is, is something that, that is happening more and more that is the increased request of ABOD. I don't know if you guys are familiarized with ABOD, which is advertising video on demand. Yeah. Where it's kind of, you know, I think it's a, I would say it's a needed, uh, okay, I'm thinking about Spanish because we have a phrase for that, but it's kind of like a needed disease, uh, kind of like not really disease, I think it's not the best word, but it's, it's like companies or owners of the, the platform, they don't want to pay for the content. They want to go on revenue share. Which means, like, if people watch it, you are gonna get certain percentage of that, and if they don't watch it, then you see nothing, right? Mm -hmm. And so for them, it's really not a risk. They are not putting any money. They are not investing really money into content. But here you have the producer side, right? And so you are facing this dilemma. I don't like that. And by the way, I don't like a distributor. I don't like that because you know, <laughs> I just don't like that. Um, but then this is the, the option. Okay, you put it here with revenue share, which, you know, there are really no statistics of how well your title is going to perform, literally. It can be performing very well for a couple of months and then all of a sudden nothing or the opposite or keep a steady, you know, watch. And so, but at least you have kind of a, let's say 50, 50% chances that your content is going to be watched. But if you don't accept that, then you know for a fact, 100% sure, that as long as it's in your catalog alone, revenue is going to be zero. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just a thing. <laughs> and so I, that's why, you know, as part of these changes that we're seeing more and more and more, and, and based on what we are reading in the news, that's really where, where the big market are going to be. Even Netflix sometimes is buying on revenue share. Even you know, Amazon also does it, does it a lot, more than Netflix. And so, you have to you have to take the risk of putting your content out there otherwise it's going to be great but nobody's going to watch it that's really good to know um one thing that yeah i wanted to ask you about and, and this i've always felt is important that people really understand you know you always 
for every single thing that has you know some sort of commerce attached to it like uh, publishing for example you always also hear the self option self-publishing mm. self-distributing and I want your your opinion because I think that people really need to understand the difference in between being represented by a professional who knows what they're doing and by you know thinking positively in a blind manner which i really don't recommend to anyone and i don't okay. mean this in a bad way please forgive me i don't no, no, mean no. this in a bad way but well, could you please but, explain but the, thing, the difference you know? between self-distribution and actual distribution yeah well um this is something that i have told the producers in costa rica and i'm going to say it here because as of now I'm 100% sure that it happens, and there hasn't been one case in which I haven't seen it happening, okay? And that's what I'm going to say. It. I don't know any producer, any producer, that thinks that their content is not good, okay? <laughs> All of them think they're good, okay? And, and I, okay, it makes sense, right? Yeah. But here is the thing. If somebody asks me, do you think a producer can sell their content? I'm going to say yes. I don't have any doubt about it. They will be able to send their content. But the key question is, how well are you going to sell your content? Because that's really the question. Okay. And I have seen several cases of horrible deals made by producers. And, I, and I, the only reason why I know them is because after the horrible deal, they came to me, I mean, to our, to our company to distribute. And then we have to deal with a mess that they did before. <laughs> Okay, so it's like literally like an animated series, really, really good pre-K animated series mm -hmm. sold in the United States for a price that I almost fainted when I heard how much they paid. Oh my goodness. And they had like five-year holdbacks with exclusive again. I mean, it was a really bad idea. But of course, in the, in the eyes of the producer, this amount sounds, wow, because they don't know that in the U.S. market, that is an embarrassing amount that they offer and that he accepted. And so thank you so much for asking because, yes, anybody can sell their content to anybody. Like, literally, like, no problem. One time, this person was telling me, oh, yeah, I put I put my content in the in Crackle, you know, Sony platform. Ah, yeah, really? I, I was surprised because based on that content, I was very surprised. And so I say, how much do they pay you? Oh, no, no, we pay them. Say, oh, okay. Huh? Okay, interesting. Wait, what? That's, that's not I don't know exactly works. how they did it. I, I, I mean, honestly, I, I was just very surprised that that happened. You know, and, and I don't even know if he really said, he really meant Crackle. I mean, I'm just repeating what he said. Maybe it mm. wasn't really that company because I don't think Crackle works in that way. But anyways, it's like, yeah, so you are telling me that you have a content someplace for which you have to pay. That's not how distribution works. You are supposed to get the money, not give the money, <laughs> right? It, that's crazy. And so I think that's the difference, you know, between having, it's like when you and I uh, talk about production. I mean, I can only comment based on my experience mm -hmm. because when I present content, then not all of them, and I wish all of them say the reason why they don't take something, but I always value when they give me my, their feedbacks or why did they didn't choose this title. 
because I think that's valuable information that it, that I pass it to the producers and then they can, you know, see, oh, okay, maybe we have to do this, we have to switch this. And so, you know, I, I think I think having a person that knows um, that field, you know, or that area of the media industry is important. And also, of course, for the connections that you have, right? These yeah. viewers normally have more connections than producers, that's just a thing. Yeah. yeah. And and I think that encompasses what you said earlier, really about finding a partnership, as you see your people as partners, uh, more than do this other content, to help them grow and succeed for feedback, where, again, that difference, because it's always that the studios, they'll buy whatever content for as cheap as possible, but if you have a good partner on your side who's there mm -hmm. to help you and want to grow with you, such as your company and you, <laughs> that will you. help you more than anything, right? Yeah, <laughs> because it's really, my idea is to establish a long relationship, you know, with the, with the people I'm working with, in this case, the partner, because that's how I want to be seen. Like, they know they can, I, I honestly think they know they can count on me. Like, you tell me, Rick, and you, do you know that? Oh, I, I, listen, I, I, I have nothing but good things to say, and I've, Jonathan will testify to this. So will everyone else in the company. I've oh, texted oh. these guys All late the at night to tell them every little bit of news that ever comes from you. And it doesn't matter what time it is. Like that is that is a topic of conversation mm, because we you. feel that we're being properly represented. We feel like I don't have to worry about those things. We none of us have to worry about those things because it's like, okay, Let's improve the quality of our content day in and day out and let Vivian handle the rest because I, you know, I'm not going to be able, Jonathan's not going to be able, Sandra's not going to be able, John, no one's going to be able to sit down and focus on something if we're worried about, well, who are we going to sell this to? Well, that's yeah. not my wheelhouse. We have someone who's an expert at it. Let her handle the business. That's, well. you know. That's it. I mean, so, and, and there is a reason why they say that experience it doesn't doesn't come by casualty, right? Like, like by coincidence. There is exactly. a reason why we invest years working and, and learning from other people. Because I have again, I'm gonna say like when I moved from HBO into Echo Bridge, I was also very blessed to have Emilia Nucho, who was my my again. She was she was she became at the end like president of the international distribution, and and working with her was great because she was a great boss great mentor and as of now again it's, she's still my friend like literally we move from for, to that level and i think is when you see that and that's how the whole the whole reason why this company started like j2911 media started because i i believe that the audience needs to be exposed to good clean content to a content that will after you watch it you you should have learned something positive by the way <laughs> Yes. Yeah, because you can learn a lot of not good good things. <laughs> and, and I and I knew and I knew that there were many producers out there that didn't have the opportunities of you know having connections and you know and that's how this started. And and I think that's why also one of the things that connected so well with Triskelion Productions is that we both believe in good content. You know, it is very, very needed right now. Not not only in the States, everywhere it's needed. Is 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 your mentor um, the one I met at Natby? Yes, I remember yes. her. She's great. She's, oh, what she's a great, great lady! Yeah. My goodness, what a great lady! But I have this, you know, Rosemary, which was the one that I said, Elias Atlantis on HBO, and then mm -hmm. Emilia, and, and they both, as of now, are, are my friends, like dear friends. 
Yeah, it's it's it speaks to relationship building. Um, another question that I have because I think this is very important that people out there really kind of get an understanding of um, how flexible do producers need to be when they're having these discussions, especially when they're launching the content the first time out like we are because I know you and I've had this conversation before but can you can you tell us a little bit about the need for flexibility and understanding of, of what it is that, that the distributor has to do when you when you mean flexibility you are referring to which area um you know flexibility in understanding how uh, you know how the contract's going to come down with, you know, the agreement's going to come down with the distributor because that's something that, that I know we, we mentioned where people think that, you know, you're asking for this and that and it's like, no, you don't understand. This is how the industry works. So it's like flexibility and understanding what the terms of, of an agreement are going to be and flexibility and understanding of, of how things are already laid out in terms of how people, yeah. you know, sh uh, shop for content buy the content it seems to me literally and this may sound silly but i mean not silly but um funny i guess it really starts with the personality <laughs> yeah no 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 i'm telling yeah, you um you have a person for example that um is willing to learn is willing to work together understand that any human being knows everything mm -hmm. therefore there is always a room for learning and for improvement you are going to be very flexible when it comes to well and also as, as we mentioned before you know if you are going to start and um at least for me that's very important i need to have this like i guess gut that you feel is is like okay the i can trust this person because it goes both ways honestly it's not just the producer trusting the distributor it's also the distributor trusting the producers right. because what if the producer doesn't deliver the content? What if the producer gets the money and then he doesn't pay me? You know, like there are a lot of things that are in place and that requires trust from both sides. So when it comes to flexibility, I think it's really to understand that um, there is always a room for improvement. There is always a room for, um, you know, learn. And especially if you are a new producer or even, the, I mean, you know, big ones is a little bit different because there are certain things that are set and you don't really have a lot of flexibility right there. But when, when companies that are growing, there is that level of flexibility and you need to understand that there will be things that maybe you would never heard of them. But if your distributor is telling you this makes sense, you have to trust them that it makes sense, you know, because we understand that the distributor is not going to put you in a situation, well, ideally, right? Because we already talked, there are different types of distributors. But ideally, your distributor is not going to put you in a situation where you are going to lose money or you're going to see any money, right? We, we are not in that business of losing money or, right. or escaping the opportunities. And so, but sometimes, unfortunately, the e egos are too big and they don't want to listen. Like I, I recently had somebody who told me, well, if you cannot negotiate this, just pass me the content and I'll do it. Very 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 wow. unaware of how things work <laughs> I, i'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt like my husband always said because he's not from the u.s he's from another country mm. and in this particular case he has a lot of money and so maybe you know his use of you know thinking that everything i'm asking has to happen mm. and so that's what i think it really ends up in your personality you know, if you are an, a person that are open 
to suggestions, open to learn, open to grow, then it will, it's going to be easier to work with you because then, again, if you think your distributor is, is your partner and we both want good for the content, you will listen. But if you're not, then there is, it's going to be a very hard for me to convince you of something. And most likely what happens is if I see the situation is not really a good relationship, you know, I have to sometimes take the decision of we need to stop our cooperation because it doesn't work that way, for at least for us, right? Yeah, yeah. I understand. And yeah, Rick and I usually always say that. Try to have less of an ego, right? <laughs> That's usually our advice. Don't bring really? ego. Yeah, because yeah, I, so. the thing is that, you know, as in any relationship, you don't want the other part to be unhappy, but you don't want to be unhappy either. <laughs> <laughs> and so distribution is very hard. It's really, really hard. It, it, before, you know, the, the content available was not such a big content i mean amount as it is now right now with the iphones and all of those anybody quote unquote anybody can produce anything whether it is good or not and you see you know the youtube videos have millions of views and Crazy. is there any good content good filming good lighting no as long as it's funny or silly or like well we're not going to use more adjectives that we can use itself <laughs> and so it's very it's very it's very sad to see that before the quality standards were at this level, now the quality standards are like this. And so the, the distribution side of the business is really, really, really difficult. Um, the one thing that I wanted to ask you, because I know, um, you know, John and I were talking about this way back at Nappy and, and just the fluidity of things and everything like that. How much of your, and obviously this is more of a pre-pandemic question that it's only going to change post-pandemic yeah. once this is really over. But how much of your job, at least up until the pandemic, um, required you know tremendous amounts of uh, travel and, and, and travel to marketplaces and things like that? Well, like our company has been growing in the sense that we have a sales team located in different regions. So right. that's a good thing, right? So me, particularly me, I, I don't have to be traveling like in every single market. However, even before COVID, I always had it very clear, like we, we are still a growing company, which means you really have to pay attention to your budget, okay? Mm -hmm. And so it is important to be present, yes, but there are other ways in which you can also be present and not necessarily put all that amount of money in traveling and in markets. And I think right now, the more I talk to other colleagues that also do distribution, they are more and more convinced that, number one, they are super tired of the e-markets, you know, all these online markets. It's like, it's too much. <laughs> no, for real, like yeah. even like MIP that just happened last, I mean, I guess last month. I mean, apparently it was not good at all. Many people who had like, from the size of the distributor that had to pay to participate, supposedly you were guaranteed 20, I think 20 or 25 meetings and you did have them, but last minute they canceled. So they didn't, they didn't show up for your, show up online, of course, for your meeting. And so, you know, I, I just think that we need to be, as a company, when you don't have a mega big budget for travel, I mean, even the big companies have seen such a tremendous savings by not going everywhere and connecting people, you know, connecting via, on, via online. Of course, in-person is always important, but I don't believe in the fact that you have to be in every single market that is out there because otherwise you would be always on a plane, never doing follow-ups 
and not really creating business because you need this time to settle going through your notes see okay da, da, da. and that's in general but now for us j2911 media since we have a very niche content which is you know more like documentaries that you serious um edutainment which is not commercial it doesn't make sense to us to be present in every single market because again most of the time the people who go to the markets are the ones who are buying series or this you know more 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 of this uh, commercial content but our clients are in other areas maybe they don't have big budgets to go everywhere so we have found other ways to get lists of clients emails phone numbers and everything and contact them and again because you know we have in the, we are located in different places that always helps too so uh, so i have to ask because you were talking about the pandemic a little how has the pandemic changed business or anything else? I know documentaries, which is something that your company focuses on, has exploded recently, oh uh, especially since the pandemic. Are you yeah. seeing a rise? Is there less? Is it kind of crazy because content was hard to come by? But how has it changed? How has it all been well, changed? I think it's not, a, it's not news to say that, yeah, people have been watching more, right? But I think that one thing that people are forgetting is that the fact that you have more viewers doesn't mean that company, let, let, let's use a, com a company, for example, well, let, let me not use a name, but a company that does their business model in advertising, you know, like advertising VOD. The truth is that especially during the pandemic, yeah, you have like, let's say 20 million people watching and 5 million of them didn't have a job. So as consequence, they didn't have money to buy things as consequence advertisers were not going to invest the same amount of money because they knew people didn't have money to invest on that i mean you saw that even in the and i think in the super bowl that the cost of the ads for a 30 second drop from previous years and that's just because obviously advertisers are not going to put the same amount of money into you know campaigns when you have more people watching but those people don't have enough you know acquisition power because of the situation However, I do have to say that for our entertainment con content in our docuseries, we have, you know, big demand of them, especially for the digital, because what, what was happening in, I would say, in many countries around the world is that the television networks were recycling the content that they already had. Because again, you know, just as the digital platform, the television networks also depend on the, on the advertisers and the advertisers didn't want to invest more money. As a matter of fact, in many con I mean, I would say every single country see, uh, saw reductions in advertising investment because of COVID. And so, yeah, even though you say, oh, wow, we have millions of million people connected watching. Yeah, but that didn't really translate into more money, you know, poor from the advertisers into these companies. Okay. That's, that's fascinating. And I feel that especially people who don't read the news or not watching, they only hear everybody's watching more. So they're thinking everyone's making more money. So that's really interesting to know because I don't think that's a perspective. Again, if you don't have a good distributor and a good partner to let you know what's actually happening uh, yeah. behind that space. Exactly. And no, also, it's, it's true. Yeah, it's true. You mentioned one thing. You mentioned that um, statistic, if 20 million or 10 million are watching, but 5 million are unemployed, and what a lot of people I don't think realize also is the fact that platforms that are, you know, free to access that where you have to watch ads 
are getting yeah. a lot more business that way. So it's not all about Netflix all of a sudden because a lot of no. those unemployed people might have to scale back on their Netflix or their HBO Max or what have you to continue watching content because they unfortunately cannot afford at that moment to, you know, pay a, a, a premium because I they mean, might if have you start to. adding all these digital platforms, you ended up paying more than cable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, for real. But you yes. don't feel it because maybe the you know the day that you have to pay is different throughout the month. So you pay mm -hmm. nine here, ten here, eleven, fourteen, fifteen, seventeen. I mean it's like it's crazy. Yeah, it's 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 um it's pretty insane, I think, uh honestly. Yeah, yeah as a person that has way too many streaming services, I agree. Uh <laughs> well, and this is this is the thing, like when you hear news that HBO is considering considering going into the model for AVOD, that says a lot, don't you think? Um, that says a lot. That says a lot. Not that they are gonna they are gonna cancel their other existing model, but the fact that they are considering to put part of their content in AVOD model it says a lot. That is really good to know. <laughs> yep. For future reference anyway. Yep, for future <laughs> reference, yep. I mean of course they have tons of tons of hours of production, but you know, it's still it's still yeah it would have been impossible to believe that HBO at some point was going to be just like any other free TV because let's face it, AVOD right now is like the old or traditional free VOD. You sit mm -hmm. down, you turn on the television and you don't, you, as long as you have an antenna, I guess, I don't know, I guess now the television, they don't have antenna, I don't know. The revenue but, you know, it's, it's <laughs> the, fact, the fact that you didn't have to pay a dime to watch content. And that's where exactly what, a, but of course you have to wait for the commercials and that's exactly what an avod is but in digital you know in, in streaming that, that's that's what it is yep peacock's already doing it and as everything, you said, comes back. everything comes back yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah basic cable or pay cable, i mean or yeah pay cable is what we would say now okay the subscription ones um one thing that you had um that you had sent uh to me i remember and i and i forwarded to everybody else in the company was about 4k eventually becoming the the and that really being a lot closer than people think what's your advice to producers that think oh i can get away with you know shooting on you know 1080 and continuing to build a catalog that i'm going to sell on 10 you know 1080 when 4k is is really at this point becoming the normal end of it and it's no longer about just give me something that's got a good story give me something that also looks crisp and perfect yeah well i think it falls into what i said before about being aware of your content if you make the decision to keep producing in hd mm -hmm. okay but what are the consequences long term the consequences will be that most likely um you're gonna get less and less clients interested in your content uh, because of just the material or you will have to make an upgrade that I don't even know if at that point it's possible maybe in, the, in some years it will be but like what happened to material who were shot in SD that needed to be upgraded to HD but again I don't know if right now maybe in five years there will be a way to upgrade an or um, you know an HD into 4k have no idea but in, in, com in countries like Korea and Japan they are already producing in 8k and so now, of course, this is this is like okay, this is like having what um, gray Michelin tires into your old Volkswagen thing, right? <laughs> the 4K, 
right now is not widely used, mainly because the televisions, and people don't change televisions constantly, do not have that capacity. But of course, the new televisions do. They do have the 4K. And even, the, uh, you know, I would say so far, it's still not the majority, not even the 50% of the clients who are asking for 4K. But it's good to have it in 4K because then you can downgrade it to HD because that's what happened with one of my shows. We needed to deliver to these big platforms where we're not going to say the name, Rick, but your content is there. And uh. this producer <laughs> needed yeah. to downgrade it because this, this platform still doesn't have the capacity, technological capacity to accept 4K. And so, but it's always, I believe, and I'm not as, uh, you know, as uh, savvy in the tech area, no. Uh, but I assume that it's, it's less complicated to downgrade it than to upgrade it. Yeah, it's, it's less complicated. And so, again, you are always free to do whatever you want to do, but you need to be aware what are the consequences of those, those decisions long term. And, and I'm glad that you mentioned, again, when you were talking about Korea, and that they're already in 8K, because I think we talked a little about it, but the importance of international market to not only think about the market you're in, but think about the rest yeah. of the world. And, and that's why when you when you should, you need to you need to remember that your M&E needs to be separated. If you want to sell it internationally for any other country that does not speak English, you have to have the music and effects separated when you are shooting, because otherwise it's very complicated. If the client wants to stop, it's going to be almost impossible because of the cost of separating that. And sometimes it's not even possible. Wow. Yeah. So so yeah, so, and I know we're getting into our conversation. We don't hold you forever, which we could, and just get your feelings like two oh, hours and plus. I love to talk. Yeah. <laughs> and we know that. I love to so talk. Like, oh. You're in good company. We all love to talk. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we do. So, but I, I just want to make sure that we get it out there, because you've been saying it all throughout this podcast, but I want to give you a chance to make us a thing about if, if you are starting out here and you're one of our listeners who are independent filmmaker and, you're, and you need some just info and help, Vivian, can you tell that distributor besides copyright your information? We got that one. That's number one. So That's I'm not gonna one if you if you don't say if you don't have that, I close my ears. Like, I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear. Go for that. You know, do it. So before you go to any distributor, first thing, copyright your work. And then what else would you want them, Vivian? If they're reaching out and they want a distributor. What would you want first timers to know and what they should be prepared for? Well, they should have um, a trailer. Please, you need to be aware of the length of the trailer. I'm going to say this again, because I was speaking with this Spanish producer and he was telling me, oh, no, no. And, you know, it, it's common to have a trailer four minutes. I say, eh, eh. Where? You know what? <laughs> really, it's not how it happens now. It may have happened before. I mean, I'm uh, not saying that, right? No. Or maybe that's how. But in general, people don't have the time. And I'm going to say this with all respect and i really say this for with respect to waste watching four minutes of something okay and this is not me the distributor i have all the time i sit down and watch it but you have to think about the final the final client which is the one who received a lot of information every day of content they have to go through that process and it cannot be that long so your trailer needs to be maximum 30 seconds no more than okay i could say between 30 seconds to a minute no more and it has to be as attractive as possible. That's the only way in which that acquisition executive is going to ask for a screener. If you don't convince that person in 30 seconds to a minute that they need to watch the whole thing, nothing is going to happen. So trailer is, 
I've seen, and, and this is a, a thing that we say in the industry, I think, at least among the distributors, like a good trailer can make you buy a very bad movie, but a bad <laughs> trailer can make you not buy a really good movie. <laughs> okay? But I'm pretty sure you have seen those horrible trailers that says nothing. It's yes. like, yeah. really? Like, but then if for some unknown reason you ended up watching it, it's like, such a great movie, but you know, the, the, the trailer doesn't really, you know, make justice to the movie. And so being, being very, 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 very careful. And I actually, particularly just because of the international spectrum, I like the trailers that don't have words mm -hmm. because then I don't have to worry about, you know, asking the producers to please subtitle the, the trailer because then if it doesn't have words, it's just, I mean, meaning it's spoken words. That's what I mean. Mm -hmm. You know, because if it is written, it's okay because almost in this industry, almost everybody understands English, you know, so that, that's not a big right. thing. But uh, not everybody is very fluent in terms of listening and understanding English. And so if you can come up with a, a trailer that doesn't have, uh, uh, you know, spoken words, but is very compelling, attractive, that's number one thing. I really think you have to invest time in creating that great trailer. And number two is create a very attractive poster. Again, they, I've seen posters that I want to cry because they are so, so sad. <laughs> it's like, why? Like literally, the, like, like two weeks ago, I was talking to somebody who was, uh, you know, presenting this um, animated series. Really nice series, really nice animated series. How in the world do you think you're going to use a war as the poster? If kids do not read and it's from PK, pre-K. <laughs> no, no, no. Even Mommy, it, sounds, it sounds funny, but is is that that process? You have to put yourself mm. in those shoes of the, you know, like because okay, let's say you can always change the poster or the arts moving forward. We we know that you know nothing is fixed in stone. It can be moved, but you are presenting like. Like one of one of the person I have contact with is a head acquisition person for a very very big important I cannot say the name very big important U.S. Uh, animation company here. Right. Do you think they have time to spend four minutes watching a trailer? Do you think that if I send that email with a poster that says nothing, they want to they want to click the trailer? Mm -hmm. No. I, I, so it's yeah. like. It may sound very like oh obvious, but trust me, as I always said, common sense is not common. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and I don't say that in a disrespectful way, you know. It's just that maybe, maybe again, maybe obviously for me, for me it becomes so obvious because mm -hmm. I have, you know, I have these feedbacks. I work with them. I know, and and obviously for the producers now. So I, I don't, I don't want to sound disrespectful in any way. In any right, way, right. I just like to be funny sometimes. And, uh, <laughs> we all we all do we all do yeah but but that's i think okay so uh, you know the register it good poster good trailer and and i think everything else i can ask or anybody can ask you for like the synopsis and things like that but but those are your big tools those are your big tools hmm. Thank you so much. That was so great. It was... I know Rick is, I, I can see him. He wants to ask so many more questions. No, actually, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done asking questions, but I do want to add this because I think it's clear that it, I think something pe people need to understand. Because Vivian brought this up about relationships and personalities and everything like that. So I, I just want to, this quick little story. When we were at NAPI, all right, and you know this, Jonathan. 
we sometimes people wouldn't show up to meetings um, or they just plain wouldn't be there and that happens in all marketplaces so that's another story for another day Vivian texts me like 10 minutes ahead of our meeting which no one ever did and I'm not saying this is a knock on anybody else I'm just saying that no one ever really texted us 10 minutes before a meeting or even emailed us uh, 10 minutes before a meeting 10 or 15 minutes before a meeting Vivian's like, hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm ready for the meeting. I'm like, man, I'm not even done with the one we have now. And she's already texting me. This is great. And I got a great feeling about that. But I really knew that I wanted you to be our distributor. When I saw that you were like sitting there waiting, and I know you had an injury. I remember you had an injury yeah. on your foot. You know, I had another surgery in January. Yeah. Oh, really? Went better than the previous one. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm not using walking canes anymore. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. And Vivian is there <clears throat> just waiting for us and, and has this meeting with us, you know, with a bad foot, basically like listening to everything that we had to say, um, I never felt dismissed in that meeting or anything of that because you can have a meeting with a person that'll make, make you feel like they're just listening to you but dismissing you at the same time where mm -hmm. you almost want to say, hey, you know, I just want to cut this up and go. And, and, yeah. and I like from that moment, I knew that I wanted you to be our, our distributor and I'm, you know, Thank we're you. all so grateful for you. So, you know, my advice, I think, echoes with what you're saying and what Jonathan and, and we all feel and that is, if you're gonna find a distributor, find somebody who you know is gonna to go to war for you because that's exactly what we've had and we're very satisfied with it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, so great. if you allow me to share our website, it's oh, www.j2911media.com. Yes. And right. you will see the titles for Christian Triskelion. Am I pronouncing correctly or I'm mispronouncing? <laughs> yeah. Because you yeah, know, I have my accent and good, so I don't wanna yeah. be like oh my god triskelion right yeah, mm -hmm. triskelion, yeah. okay Whew. Whew. okay <laughs> well i have a story that i i was you know this was this happened in new york i'm talking to this person for six months calling him sebastian oh sebastian sebastian you know blah 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 and one day he said you know i just want you to know that my name is actually samuel not sebastian <laughs> this happened like six months calling him sebastian and he's like oh yeah yeah i'm so sorry no it's like i you know sometimes i struggle with names or pronunciation but i try to do always my best to be respectful you know to, to the way and you, it's written and you got it right on the money yes. yes so please visit j2911 media please please they are great they do great work i if i could tell you how many times where it calls me and messages me to tell me how great vivian is because it happens you. almost like every week well, and i'm so happy because <laughs> I, I want him and all of them to feel that they, they have a partner you know like we are we're in, we are a team on this a on this aisle we are the team yeah and then the other aisle is you know the client but we are the team so that that's basically what i always want for my all my, my my producers yeah i call them my producers actually they were mine but i call them my producers i know we're <laughs> we're 100 your producers because we're we're you know with j2911 all the way for us we are extremely happy i mean yeah. um just how quickly you started working and it's like even in the pandemic i'm getting positive emails and i'm like oh well, man the world is not falling apart yes <laughs> Well, and, and do you remember when I talked to you, like, again, part of my, my panorama of how the things are, it's like, I didn't offer you deals right away. I, no. I even told you, remember, no, it's going to take mm -hmm. this amount of yeah. time in the best scenario, but, you know, thanks God, 
in a way, the COVID hit, and then there we had more demand of, again, like the content that you produce, guys, which is good content, you know, like content with a meaning, content with a good meaning, actually, right? Thank you. And, and, and I'm very, very loyal to that. For us, it's like family-friendly content, the idea that the little ones can be with the old ones, watching something that is going to be for their good, you know? So mm -hmm. that's very important for me. Trust me, I have received offers of producers content with narcos and other stuff, mm -hmm. which, you know, I guess, I mean, that's a huge thing, especially like if you think about Latin America, ooh. Mm -hmm. but what good has done that to our society? Mm -hmm. yeah, it, and so it, I think yeah. we have to be faithful to the fact that we want to be that positive, you know, factor in the future of our, our world. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, John, anything you want to plug? No, I think we all did the plugs. Vivian got it. She handled it for you us. Yeah, that's right, what I was right Vivian. So, so you you have led us to um, a wonderful closing uh, for today, and we thank you for it. And again, please visit www.j2911media.com. Um, minimally, you will learn a fantastic lesson. Um, so thank you, Vivian, for your time. No, thank you. And uh, thank you. your continued effort to um, help us, you know, grow and get better. And this is our mm. experience. And hopefully uh, people listening will have something similar. Oh. I hope so. And thank yeah. you for giving me the opportunity because, again, I think we're here to share our knowledge and to help each other to grow for better. Mm -hmm. All right. Yep. So like, share, and subscribe wherever you're hearing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us some reviews. It always helps us. Share it with your friends and get to know a little more information about being your own independent filmmaker. So we'll see you next week on Cinemagic. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.